May it be. I just have to tell you, that's I think first time I've ever heard jazz gospel accordion in my life. Uh, Elvin, this is just amazing. It's just a bit, I shouldn't point those things out. I, I made sure I didn't come too early, otherwise I would have had to have danced across, and, and that would not have been good. I'll just tell you that. Well, to all of you, uh, I'm Pastor Greg Waybread. I'm the senior pastor here at Lake. I love being here, and I love this church, and I'm just glad you're here with us on this Sunday morning before Christmas. Now, we're going to have a lot of services. We have uh, one more tonight at 6, and then we have three Christmas Eve services uh, happening. What day? Christmas Eve. That's, so tomorrow night. So the, the first is at 4 o'clock. It's a more of a family-oriented service. Still has candle lighting. And then the other two are the traditional candle lighting services at 7 p.m. and 9. I hope you'll come. hope you'll bring others with you. Usually we have a lot of people from our neighborhood who come to be with us. Well, on, we have two more weeks before the end of this uh, fiscal, no, calendar, calendar year. Get that thing right. And uh, I have to bring a little bit of family news to you. This morning, I'm going to be speaking to you about a time when an angel would tell Mary nothing is impossible with God. And uh, she was asked to believe that. And that message has come throughout history. And we've experienced a lot of that here at Lake. When it comes to the giving to our church, it won't be as big as a virgin birth. I'll, I'll just tell you that. But as we stand here before fiscal year ends, we're still about 900,000 plus behind where we need by the end of the year. We've done things like this before. You've given like this uh, before. This year, as I kept, this week, as I kept seeing the stock market down, 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 I thought, oh Lord, is this one of those impossible things? It is not. We seek to be very uh, good stewards of what God gives, and I, I just ask you to prayerfully consider what God might enable you to give. I talked about this in the first service, and a little girl came up and said, I want our church to be able to meet its budget, and she gave me a quarter and wanted to make sure. It's like the widow's mind. I'm going to view that as a seed that's going to grow. Lynn, will you take this? Because I know next week I'd find it still in my pocket. So... Uh, but I just wanted to say that, and I thought if we all had that same heart, there's just no doubt that we would see what seems to be impossible to us, that we might continue to be faithful to bringing the gospel here, in our ministry, in our city, in the many places Lake touches uh, Pasadena and the area, and throughout the world with our many, many missionaries. So if you have joy in giving and God puts it on your heart, I'll ask our ushers to come forward even now. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, one thing that we experience always is whatever the deepest need is that exists among those you love, you meet it in ways that go beyond anything, anything we ever could have anticipated or the world could ever believe. Father, I, this is not that kind of thing, and yet at the same time, it's such important matters for us as a church to be able to uh, meet the, the budget that is there and to do the work that we think you have called us to do. So, Father, pour out your blessing on us. We will receive this offering as an act of worship, everything we are and that we have. You've made it. You've given it to us. So, Father, worshiping you, we give back to you. Fill us with great, great joy as we give in the name of Jesus who gave his entire life for us. Amen.
come now to the reading of God's Word. We'll first look at the story of Mary, and then we'll turn to the words of Jesus. Our scripture reading begins then in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Let's stand, because we're going to be hearing our Father's Word. Beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, 
God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now, let's listen to the words of Jesus. At the very end of his life, looking back on his life and helping us to understand why he has come and what has changed. John chapter 15, beginning with verse 9, the words of Jesus. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends, and you are my friends, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. And this is the Word of God. You may be seated. Well, this is the fourth Sunday of Advent, we're thinking about how Jesus came in a manger to meet our needs, and we thought about the need of hope first, followed by the need of peace that we have in our hearts, and the need of joy that we thought about last week, and this week, if I can get the candlelighter actually lit, yay, we're going to think about the love 
that Jesus came to bring into our lives. So, since that's the week, I should probably talk to you about love, right? So I will. And I want you to consider this one statement that I have about whether it's true as we begin. Your deepest need is to experience how wide, long, high, and deep the love of God is for you. And then to respond to that love by loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. What do you think about that? So, our series is called Siri. When I ask Siri a question, why do we need a manger? Week by week, we have joined with uh, Christians all over the world to think about whether Jesus really came, born in a manger, to address, to meet the deepest needs that we have as human beings. Uh, we saw, as I said this week, we saw this one of God meeting our need for hope and, and for peace and for joy. And this week, I, I contend, we come to our deepest need of all, namely our need of love. And to guide us in this, um, we're going to look at the much-loved story of Mary as Luke records it in Luke chapter 21, uh, chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. So to start this, I want to consider carefully one word that is found both in the account that we looked at last week, where Elizabeth found out she was going to have a child in her old age, and that's found in verse 25, and then it occurs twice in the story of, uh, of, of Mary, and that is in verse 28 and 30. That word is favor. Favor. It's used in a way we usually don't use it. So I put a definition up here so you can think about it. When you read about favor in the Bible, it's an intentional act of bestowing love and grace upon another person in ways that will always bring benefit and blessing to that other person. The word favor is a very active word. When you read in the Bible that God has favor on somebody, it almost always means that something wonderful is going to happen, something miraculous is going to happen. Long before uh, Elizabeth and Mary lived in the stories that we read in Luke chapter 1, God had shown his favor on other women who had lived. People like, and if you're new to church, you won't know these names, the rest of you probably will, like Sarah and Rachel and Rebecca and then Hannah, and the favor that they had experienced had all been the same. God had enabled them to have a child late in their lives, or at least after many years of waiting and praying that God would give them that child. Those were significant women in the history of God's people. Then centuries later, Elizabeth came on the scene and found herself, as she said it, favored by God in exactly the same way as those other women had been favored, in her very old age, that's the way the Bible puts it, she is told she's going to have a child to take away the disgrace that she had felt among her people. But Mary, Mary was different, wasn't she? I mean, Mary's favor would be the greatest gift of God's loving favor uh, in the history of children being born. But um, Mary's was not a birth after many years of barrenness. Uh, uh, her, the birth through her was not going to remove her disgrace. Oh, no. Not at all. 
Hers was most certainly a gift showing God's favor. After all, I mean, here we are remembering her, right? But I'll tell you, when she first heard about God's favor, I can just tell you this. She did not feel this was going to be a very loving thing. What kind of love is this? How would this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. So one day, this angel named Gabriel appears to this young, engaged woman who is probably just between 12 and 16 years old. That name Gabriel means hero or warrior or a champion of God. And I point that out because he was probably one big-time imposing presence. And Gabriel's words to Mary, I mean, they were really positive words. Mary, you are highly favored by God. The Lord is with you. But Mary, you heard it, she was shocked. I mean, what would you do if this powerful supernatural being popped out in front of you and, and, and said, you're favored? I think verse 29 might be an understatement. Look at it. Mary was greatly perplexed and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I, th I imagine that's one of the biggest understatements in the entire Bible. I think if, if that happened to me, I'd let out a big scream. What, what would you do? But, but Gabriel quickly says to her, don't be afraid, Mary. God knows you. He's already ready to show his favor to you. Then he begins to reveal, reveal what God's favor to her is actually going to look like. Mary, you're going to conceive and give birth to a child. When he is born, you'll call him Jesus your son is going to be great. He'll be called son of the most high. As Gabriel goes on speaking about Jesus to her, I, I imagine Mary listening and nodding and taking it all in. But then it seems to me that maybe that what the angel said to her comes home to her. And she says something like this, wait a minute. Did, did you say I'm going to get pregnant? I mean, right now? I'm not married yet. I, I may be a teenager, but I know how babies are made, and I haven't done any of that yet. Gabriel, how will this be? I am a virgin. Um, remember that Mary was a teenage girl, a real one, a real one. <laughs> so what I, want, what I want you to do is to try to put yourself into her shoes and imagine this happening to you. Men, this is going to be hap harder for you and me. Just, just mark that down, but I want you to try to do it. If you were a teenage girl, what would you think if you discovered that you're going to become pregnant outside of marriage? As you're thinking about that, let me tell you one more thing about Mary. The research done about her hometown, Nazareth, points out that at that time, um, she and Joseph were almost certainly a part of a very small, conservative group of Jewish people. Or her upbringing would be a whole lot like if any of us had grown up in a family that was very suspicious of contemporary culture, said beware of, of movies and of, of media and anything out there in the world of public schools. So you've got to envision Mary and Joseph growing up in, in homes where the people's lives were very, very separated from the world. And if, you, if you've got that in mind, think of Mary going back to her family and to her community and having to say something like, guess what? An angel just told me that I'm going to be pregnant, but it's okay. I'm still a virgin. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, if I'd been married, I would have had more than just one question. I wouldn't have just asked, how will this be? I, I think I would have said, Gabriel, 
Who's going to tell my mom and dad? Are you going to do that? Don't, don't you think you'd ask that? And what about Joseph, Gabriel? Uh, will you show up in our synagogue to, to tell all of our friends because you know, Gabriel, this is going to bring shame on my entire family. I have an idea. Could we just wait a year until after I'm married? It'll be a whole lot better. Um, I hope you see the point. Childlessness last week for Elizabeth was a cause for her shame among her people, and then her pregnancy was going to be the end of that shame. But the opposite was true for Mary. For, for Mary, a pregnancy like this would bring her shame. This pregnancy, if she goes through with it, threatens her marriage, it threatens her relationship to her family, it threatens her future. So Gabriel answered her one question. He just simply says, oh, Mary, God's spirit is going to come on you. God's power is going to envelop you. That's how it will be, Mary. God knows you. It's a part of his favor. And Mary is left with a decision, isn't she? Will she trust God? The faith of Mary. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I'll tell you, as I read Luke 1, I think this journey between Verse 34 and 38 is remarkable. From that place where she asks the question, how will this be, to that place where she just commits herself to the ways of God and says, may it be. Um, for me, that sort of thing doesn't happen as quickly as it did for her. But I'll tell you what happened to her is so consistent with my own walk with the Lord in the times when there were really, really difficult things that happened when untimely deaths happened in, in, in my family or among my friends, when, when I'd get a rejection letter, uh, or if we lose our jobs or all these kinds of things. And I have those questions, and I'm sure as you do too, questions of what God is doing. Mary's testimony first says to me that when those things happen that are hard and we have hard questions, we should go ahead and bring them to God. Any authentic, healthy relationship is one that when it's transparent is when we have questions, we bring our questions to the ones we love. And the same thing is true of our walk with God. He loves us. He has declared that to us. We are to love him in response to his love. So I'm telling you, as we walk with him in this difficult world, by faith, not yet by sight, sometimes we're going to have questions. And Mary's life tells me that God is ready to receive them. We don't blow him away with the intelligence of our questions that he can't answer so. We should bring them. Now, you may have noticed that Mary asked Gabriel the same kind of question that the priest Zechariah asked Gabriel when Gabriel came to him in the temple and said, your old wife, and it was really emphasized there that your old wife, Sarah, is going, no, not Sarah, Elizabeth is going to have a child. He asked in verse 18, how can I be sure my old wife will have a baby? Let's think about that. That's a lot like Mary's question. How will this be? But you know, there are different ways to ask the very same question. Have you ever noticed that? So, uh, your child could ask you, if, if, if you're the father, on a Monday morning as, as you drive your child to, to, to school, uh, what are you doing today, Dad? And it could be an honest question, just hoping you're not going to be too busy and you'll be able to be back home, be with him. And that's a good thing. But he, he could ask the same question on a Saturday morning. What are you doing today, Dad? 
And you know that what he's asking is, I hope you're going to be away because I want to have all my friends over and have a party here at our house. See, same question. You're with me here, aren't you? Different meaning. So when God appears to two different people and brings a message, one didn't believe and the other did. So the question you've got to ask is, what made the difference between the way Zechariah received God's message and the way Mary received it? Wouldn't you have expected that the one who would have believed would have been the pastor? I mean, after all, the Bible tells us he was righteous, he was blameless in the sight of God, he had walked with God, he had served the Lord for years, he knew the Word of God. In fact, when the angel came, he was experiencing this blessing of God that God was allowing him to go into the temple to burn incense. If there is anybody in all of Israel you would expect to have a visit from an angel and to say yes when he speaks, it would have been Zechariah, and the message that God brought him was such a wonderful thing. It's what he'd been praying about for years. You and your wife are going to have a child. On the other hand, Mary would have probably been the least likely person to do so. And she was just a teenager who had grown up in this rough town of Nazareth, there was a saying, what good can come out of Nazareth? She was a poor young woman from the least respected part of their entire country. And the news she received was in the moment just about the most difficult thing imaginable for her. I'll just tell you, I hope you read these stories well. One of the most startling things about all of these Christmas stories, the stories that are so familiar to so many of us, is that it's Mary who's the one who believes and it is Zachariah is the one who doesn't believe. So I've asked myself, which one of those two am I more like? Zachariah or Mary? If, if, you, if you're new, I've just got to tell you, I've been following Jesus for 60 years of my life. I've sought to be faithful to do, to do that had the, the privilege of, of studying the Bible at Bible school and Christian college and theological seminary. I've been a pastor for most of my life. I've even had the incredible privilege of preaching on a Sunday before Christmas at the historic Lake Avenue Church in Pasadena, California. I'm just telling you, if somebody... If somebody uh, had heard news that somebody in this church had received a visit from an angel and had obeyed it, would you have guessed that it was your senior pastor, Pastor Greg, or one of the junior high girls up in the junior high department? Come on, you know what you would say. And I've read this and thought about it, and, I, and I've just been praying, Lord... Make me like a child again. When you speak to me, I want to believe and to obey. And I really think that, that many of us who come to church at Lake are a bit like Zachariah as I am. I'll tell you what I see. It is possible for us to walk with God for so long and to show up at church for so long and get involved in all the religious things that we do in going to church that we sort of just settle in just a part of comfortable part of our lives. We showed up at church. We, uh, we're in a Sunday school class. We, we go to a, a, a Bible study. And sort of through all those years of walking with God, 
We sort of born, as I imagine Zechariah must have born, we, we know what God does and what he doesn't do. We know what we feel like. We know what God can and cannot do. And he doesn't give babies to old women. And he doesn't give babies through virgin teenagers. I'll just tell you, I've written this for you because I think it's so important for us. It's easy for us to go through our religious lives without realizing that a miracle-working God is present and at work in our world. I sometimes think that, that we would even prefer God to be, you know, comfortable and predictable, safe. He is none of those. And Zechariah would have to learn that God is still at work in this world and that God does the impossible. He would have to be silent for a while. You know the story. He would have to be silent for a while so that he might learn that God still does more than we could ever imagine. You know, Jesus so often commended the faith of, of young children who just trusted him. He said, for you to enter the kingdom of God, for you to experience the reign of God, you need to have trust like little children. And that trust like little children is what we see in Mary. So, Gabriel just, you know, briefly answers her question. Then he says, no word from God will ever fail. What God can do, he can do what nobody else can do. And really what he's saying there is, Mary, I know this seems impossible to you. But God knows you, and this is his favor upon you. And although she realized, I think, that God's call upon her life was going to be very, very hard, uh, she just said, may it be to me as you have said. And with those words, everything we celebrate at Christmas would come into this world. So let's think about him, Jesus, and our need for love. At the very end of his life, he looks back and he turns to his disciples and really to us, he says this, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. So we've been doing this every week. You know, we've been looking at the need, then we've been pulling back to find out if that child born in a manger actually meets that need. Remember what I said about God's favor. God's favor is shown through intentional acts of bestowing love and grace upon people in ways that meet our deepest needs. That's true whether you're an old priest or a young teenager. Amen? <laughs> so at the end of his life, in John 15, Jesus turned to his followers and he said, I chose you just as God had chosen Mary. And I love you. He said this just before he was going to go to that cross and leave these disciples. Really, they are feeling that their challenges were maybe almost as great as the ones that Mary was called to face in her obedience to God. So Jesus said, remember this, that I love you and what I do, whatever I do and whatever happens to you, it is out of my love for you. And then he said to us, remain in my love, even when you don't see it. That means what I'm doing at moments in your life, like they did for Mary, may not feel very loving, but someday you will see that what I am doing, I'm doing it for you. I'm dying out of love for you. My upcoming death is for you, so trust me. And then remain in my love. 
See, in his words, uh, Jesus describes the kind of love that every human being most needs, and he defines it there in verses 13 and 14. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down my life for the ones that I love, and you are my friends. So the evidence of real love is first that if you love somebody, you sacrifice. Whatever the need is, you sacrifice to meet those needs. And what the Bible is saying, and you've just got to see if you think this is true, because it is at the heart of what the Bible is all about. God knows that the deepest need of every human being is to have someone who will cleanse us from whatever we have done wrong in our pasts, who will heal us from whatever has become broken as we've lived in this very, very difficult world, to to save us from our sins and then to begin to remake us and give us the opportunity to have a, a new life, a life to the full. And God knew that the only way for that to happen is to have someone enter into this world live a sinless life as all of us are meant to live, but we've all failed to do it, right? Then that sinless one would have to be willing to die in our place on behalf of us, people who are far from sinless. I've got to ask you, who would do this? Who would do this? Hear now the word of God. Rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, that kind of love, the the one we most need, (laughs) I'll tell you, that kind of love is the very kind of love that comes to us through this child born through Mary in a manger. Not only did Jesus tell us what love means, he also tells us what it looks like when you and I respond to his love. And and that response is very similar to what we see happening in Mary's life. She entrusted everything to God. And in the same farewell discourse, chapter 14, Jesus said that to his followers. So simply he put it, what I do, I do for you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me, but through me you can come to the Father. And then in verse 1, trust me, believe in me. And and Mary's life, her new life, was launched with her affirmation of trust. May it be to me as you have said. And so every week, just about, I think I have to turn to you and say, have you ever consciously and intentionally entrusted your life to God? Have you placed your faith in Jesus. Is Jesus your Savior and Lord? And I'll tell you, faith in Jesus, as happened with Mary, changes your life. You follow him. Think about what happened when Mary trusted God. Pastor Annie Neufeld, she thinks about these things about pregnancy better than I do. Pastor Annie Neufeld, she helped me understand the changes that happened. And she said, and I wrote it here so you can see it, for Mary... God's favor seemed to mean two things. First, it meant that she received God into her life in a new way. And second, it meant that she carried God into the world, into a new way. Of course, uh, those matters of receiving God, 
into her life and carrying God. They were both biological and spiritual for her. But I'll tell you, they're just as true for all of us, though in a bit of a different way, that when God calls you, you must receive him into your life, and then you must carry his love out into the world. And being carriers of God's love into the world is what Jesus is speaking of here when he talks about living according to my commands and the main one being love one another. We're going to be spending uh, the beginning of next year thinking about what life looks like that is compelled by the love of Christ. So today I thought, here's where I want to go. Um, I want to talk to you at the very end about what that what you do when following Jesus brings the kinds of difficulties into your life as they brought into Mary's. And I've got to tell you as your pastor that life can still be as challenging as Mary's was. I found for me that God has often asked me to do things that simply weren't natural for me. As a student, when everybody else was cheating on exams, and I thought if I don't do that, I won't get as good a grades as they are. I had a choice to make, right? In our businesses, even in the way we do finances at the church, if you do it the way so many people do in the world, then it may be, maybe you won't make as much money as you otherwise would, and you have a choice to make. Are you going to follow God or, or are you not? Sometimes following Jesus does the same thing as, as Mary thought would happen to her. Others will reject you. Others will abandon you. Others will leave you. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we decide to remain in his love and obey his commands in the midst of a world where so few are? So, I'll tell you. My wife and Chris and I were having lunch with one of our church members, Stephanie Eversfield. And, and I've watched Stephanie as she has faced issues of trusting God and resting in God that were very, very, very difficult. And Stephanie, I said, how does this happen? How do we do this? She used two expressions that she gave me permission to tell you about and uh, that also are very helpful to me, and I think they might be to you. Two things. Number one, radical acceptance. And number two, complete surrender. Radical acceptance. That means that we don't just accept a part of God's plan as being something to bring about our good. We accept all of it even when we don't see it. Remember again, Mary did not say, hey, God, I'll do this if you let me get pregnant after I get married. God, I see this better. Wouldn't be much harder. You just have to wait a little while. Do it my way. But no, radical acceptance meant that God knows what he's doing. Every part of it. And though you don't see it, it's for your good. Complete surrender. This is Mary saying, may it be to me as you have said, even if I'm the one that has to tell my dad, <laughs> even if I lose out on marrying Joseph, even if I'm excommunicated from my church family, whenever Wherever, whatever God you would have me to do or wherever you'd have me to go, I am in. So I'll ask you, do you have any decisions that you're making, great or small, that you know are going to be costly if you do what you think would please God? I'm sure that Mary and Stephanie uh, would affirm that faith-filled acts of radical acceptance of complete surrender are things in some ways that come both in small and great things they come almost every day of our lives. Will I live for myself or with him? 
God's love for you is seen in so many ways. Sometimes it's in the wonderful things that he gives to you. That, that's, we say hallelujah then. But sometimes God's love comes to you in the difficult things to which he calls you and through which he will do more than you could ever ask or even imagine. We see the love of God for Mary in that sending this boy through her would ultimately be the source of her own salvation and ours. So, Siri, why do we need that manger? Because I'll tell you, in this world we face challenges that are hard, even challenges to our faith, even when we follow Jesus. But he says, you have to trust that in my time, I will do more than you could ever imagine. Walk with me, remain in me. That that includes those things that God will do, meeting the deepest needs of your own heart, the need of hope in the midst of times of loss, your need of peace when things are broken, even your relationships are broken, the need of joy when you're just feeling dried up and empty, and today, the need of love through discovering that we are known by God and favored, yes, loved by God himself. I'll tell you, we see it in Jesus. Jesus, the one who came born in a manger, he came to meet all those needs. He was the one who showed us in his life what the greatest love actually looks like to lay down his life for us. So my favorite poet, and I I recommend reading her poetry, (laughs) is Lucy Shaw. And I'm going to close this entire series by taking you to one of my favorite poems, and just a part of it. Uh, Lucy takes a few moments to um, think about Mary. She calls the poem Mary's Song. To think about Mary perhaps on that first day of his birth with her as his mother looking at this child. And this is what she wrote. Quiet he lies whose vigor hurled a universe. He sleeps, whose eyelids have not closed before. Older than eternity, now he is new. Now native to earth as I am, nailed to my poor planet, caught that I might be free, blind in my womb to know my darkness ended, brought to this birth for me to be newborn and for him to see me mended. I must see him torn. This is love. This is available to you. It will be for your remaking and always to his glory. Amen. Let me lead us in prayer. Thank you. Father, thank you for this beautiful, powerful message that you favor us. It's the message of Jesus. It's for all, whosoever will. You know us, you favor us. You know what's in our past, and you are ready to enter into our lives. the greatest demonstration of this kind of love in history, Jesus bore our sins in his body on a cross that we might be mended, 
Today, Father, I pray for any who have come who don't know you, that this would be the day, like Mary, that they'll say, may it be. My trust is in you. I will follow Jesus wherever Jesus leads. If that's where you are, tell him now. Turn your past over to him and ask him to cleanse it. Turn your life over to him and say, I believe. For the rest of us, perhaps many of us here are like Zechariah. We've heard so much, we've experienced so much, but we've forgotten that the God we know is here and present, does the miraculous. For our God, nothing is impossible. Thank you, Lord. So speak to us, draw us to a deeper faith, a deeper commitment today because of Jesus and as always and only in his name. Amen.